Welcome to the Evolution Exchange podcast, a podcast platform to share interesting conversations from the most successful leaders within the Stockholm tech community. My name is Sophie Gould and I'm your host for today. Welcome to another episode of the Evolution Exchange Tech Diversity Podcast. How are we all today? How's everyone feeling? Good. Good. Yeah. Mm. Excited for the talk? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I wanted to mention to the listeners that today is a, a bit of a special day as I'm recording live in person from Telia Oslo. Now, I've been here for a couple of days meeting a number of different companies, amazing customers that I work with, and thought, why not bring three people together, plus myself, to discuss a shared passion of diversity and inclusion. So, I'm going to now introduce you to the the three guests I'm with today, and what I'm going to ask is who you are, what you do, and also what you're passionate about. So, Christina, we'll come to you first. Oh, wow. Well. <laughs> uh, yes, my name is Christina Simakova. I am uh, um, currently working as engineering manager or Android manager at Shortcut. We make apps. For those who don't know, uh, yeah, I have uh, around 20 direct reports, all my favorite Android developers <laughs> I really love. Uh, yeah, that's me and uh, my passion. Well everything basically <laughs> i like to travel uh obviously i talk about diversity as well and uh, i i'm very passionate about augmented reality so oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, you can always ask me about that <laughs> yeah it's a bit of a different one i like it <laughs> and patience will come to you sure um hi i'm patience allen i uh, work as a manager in telia right now and i love People, I find people fascinating and interesting and complex. And so working with people in any way, shape or form is what really gets me going. I'm an extrovert. Matches. <laughs> nice. And Jennifer? I'm Jennifer Verino and I'm an American living in Oslo. And that right there sets me up for diversity. <laughs> Having a different uh, viewpoint than the people that I'm living around. And... Um, I'm basically a communication specialist. I am a freelancer, so that means that I'm into different companies, into different projects. Again, diversity from a different <laughs> angle, seeing lots of different ways of doing things. And my core tool is basically writing in all shapes and forms, copywriting, UX writing, really whatever, whatever my clients need. I also lead creative projects and... Um, communications projects um and then i guess i would say if i had to name a passion it's you know discovering new things uh whether that's about people or whatever adventure basically i um to show you what i mean in the past few years i've been dipping my toe into virtual reality mm, nice what do you like about it well, it is literally like seeing things through a different viewpoint. You can, it's well known for empathy mm. um, that almost to the point of the people who work with it, I think it see it as like yeah, that empathy thing, like it's over-talked. But um, as it expands to being relevant to wider <clears throat> wider audiences, uh, I think that's really its, its main um, selling point. Mm. Yeah, it sounds cool. 
Definitely. Okay, well, thank you for that. It's nice to kind of get a little bit, get to know each other a little bit more. Um, so as I mentioned, we're, we're all here to discuss diversity and I know we've all brought a few discussion points or subtopics that we're here to kind of dig a little deeper into. Um, so what I'm going to do is kind of go around the room with what your topic or discussion point was. I'd love if you can share it with the listeners, share it with the panel, and then we'll dig deeper into what everybody else thinks as well. So again, Christina, I'm going to come to you first. <laughs> um, yours was a really, really, really interesting point of how to fix the culture rather than just the statistics when it comes to diversity. Yeah, I mean, uh, I brought it up because I see now uh, several companies, they, I, I mean, first of all, I diversity and inclusion are very important and showing that you have so many diverse people in your company by statistics, that's great. But what I see now is that people are actually just looking at statistics and what it actually means. For example, uh, let's say we have bigger company where you have just the development department with only men and marketing department with only women is that diversity even though on statistics it is let's say 50 50 but is that real diversity is that real inclusion because your department is maybe only females or only males it doesn't count (laughs) to be honest and the second part is that uh, for example, when we take the startups and uh, maybe investors will tell them, you know what, you don't have any women on their, on your board. And then they're running around and just trying to find that woman that will be there like a checkpoint. You know, I don't want to be a checkpoint. I want to be there because mm-hmm. I can contribute. Yeah, so that's my point. Just uh, My point is for the companies, be careful what you are uh, doing and uh, how it's shown, maybe, yeah. Being um, truly interested in it rather than just the way it looks. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So for me, I would rather maybe have a company that has, let's say, 15% women in the company, but then it feels included. Then I see in all the different teams there is one woman or... Uh, someone international working so to get these diverse points in the teams Uh, yeah so statistics are not always showing what is going on I also think it taps into the integration versus assimilation way of looking at things Um, some things that I've worked on it's definitely where I see that the uh, people who are different in that situation it was internationals in Norway looking at they, they had to um, assimilate, basically act exactly like a Norwegian mm. instead of, you know, whatever, showing their full value for the company. And that was not understood by the company, but it was obvious uh, to me from the outside. Yeah, and I think a lot of companies don't know what they're asking for, really. They don't understand the consequences of it. Um, and they use statistics because they don't, know how else to measure it yeah. and they don't know how else to hold um, us who are hiring managers accountable. That's true. That's and and so I think statistics are useful 
as one part of a larger campaign or plan or strategy. And it's the larger campaign or plan or strategy that I think is often missing. Yes, yes, exactly. What I'm afraid of is that bigger company, they have this wonderful uh, vision that to have the diverse and wonderful place for us to work in. And then it goes down to OKRs and all this. And we as the managers, we try to meet those. And sometimes without thinking what it actually means, what we actually need to do rather than just checking this box that now we have five women or five internationals or what is diverse for you, for your company. Yeah, and I think um, diversity is a double-edged sword in companies that have very few people because... Often you get that one person in who's the first person of whatever type they are in whatever diverse way they are diverse. And they just create a lot of noise because everybody else is homogeneous in an opposite way. And there's no cultural transition. There's no learning back and forth about what you can expect and, and what you should be prepared for and how you should be more open-minded and that's very difficult for people to just do naturally without being aware of oh I need to be aware of this Mm -hmm. Um, so oftentimes that is seen as a failure in a company and then they don't want to hire other diverse candidates because they just don't have enough diversity to be getting the value add and they're not taking advantage of the special skills or perspectives the person's bringing because they're trying to fit them into a square, you know, a round peg into a square box or a square hole. Um, and so that causes a lot of problems. And if you're not aware of that, like going into it, you're just going to see the bad sides. Yeah. Whereas if you're a little bit more prepared and a little bit more aware, then you're like, yeah, yeah, this is just a transition period. This is just growing pains. Yeah. I think it's also work for us as a hiring manager to make sure that we meet this person with the open minds as well and prepare our culture as well. And the second point I think which is very important is that we are very desperate for developers and like anyone and it's important to hire people that fit your culture (laughs) as well. Uh, so it's sometimes it's painful to say no to a good candidate, but you feel like, okay, maybe he or she doesn't fit into the culture. How do you do your onboarding? I would think that could be a way of addressing that. How could somebody, you know, look at it with uh, fresh eyes? How could they potentially be, uh, become one of you? Is there a process around that? Uh, like what you said, you have to say no to good people, even though you desperately need them. Yeah, I mean, coming to onboarding, we actually have now a quite long onboarding process where people meet almost everyone in the company. So they understand who is what, doing what, and uh, so on, and they have different activities. Uh, If we talk about interviewing process, how we see that it's not a culture fit, I don't know, usually we ask questions about like, what do you expect? How do you want uh, your uh, everyday life to be? And maybe let's say someone asks for, I don't know, uh, they only want to work in this particular area. 
then maybe it will be really hard for us to find as a consultancy project uh, company to find projects to fit this uh, needs basically so uh, yeah that sounds uh, like a very practical challenge rather than an attitude challenge yeah yeah that's true yeah i uh, i think overall i have not seen that many candidates that wouldn't fit the culture because i mean also in shortcut we are so international only in my team i have seven different nationalities and uh they are like we are all living together and i'm uh, happy to see how it all works out uh so we are very like kind of diverse and different uh, group of people um yeah but i can see some companies might have a challenge if let's say they have only been region speaking people working and suddenly you need to hire someone from abroad and they only speak english it can be a challenge right uh, because you are used to talk uh, your language in at lunch on the meetings and suddenly you have the switch we had this in shortcut before there was uh, i remember i was the only, i think one of the few ones that uh, were not from Norway uh but I could speak Norwegian and then there was a switch now we only use English now we are very international how long did that time take i uh, so in 2015 it was uh Norwegian only speaking i would say and now we are like so super international <laughs> i i think it took a year a transition uh overall transition but also being a smaller company from the beginning it's much easier to do the switch mm. yeah. yeah i think it's interesting it kind of resonates with me the the point of the statistic thing is knowing your company's why and the values that your company holds so then you know that you're definitely hiring for the right reasons rather than like you said trying to fit and tick a box for the sake of it It's definitely interesting. Nice. Has anyone got anything else to add on that point? No, I, but I do think, you know, statistics are crutch. And most of the statistics you see out there are measuring gender or maybe if you're lucky they might measure age. Um they may measure nationality. But there i see very very few statistics that are being used to measure other types of diversity um you know people with physical limitations or you know whatever else there there can be a whole range of ways people can be diverse and i think that is often forgotten for the sort of the big three the age mm. gender you know nationality those are the easiest ones to spot and you don't feel like you might have to be sensitive about it so yeah. much. Yeah. I was going to say do you think it's because some of these like like you said physical ability, I don't know like your sexual orientation, they are quite sensitive to subjects. So that could be yeah. a, fa a factor that affects it. Yeah, and religion, you yeah, know, that could be yeah, one. Yeah. But I think I think that's the thing with diversity and inclusion. You need to figure out how to broach those other areas in a way that is uplifting and supports people and doesn't just put them in a box and leave them there um and so and that's some that's a lot of training that I think companies could really 
spend some time and effort on that would make, you know, conflict management just go out the window. You get rid of that because people would understand each other more and empathize more. Um, but it would also open up their hiring and who, what types of profiles they could hire and what types of places they could hire from as well, like the channels where they get people from, um, I think would be a little bit more diverse as well. Because uh, sometimes our hiring channels are not diverse at all. And thus we get what is there because... <laughs> <laughs> you don't get any more diversity. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. And the, 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 thing, the thing you mentioned there about kind of age, gender, um, brings us on nicely to your topic, Jennifer, which was age within diversity and, and ageism. So, yeah, tell us more about that. I think it's a very, <coughs> very interesting way of looking at things because it's relevant to everybody, no matter what their background is. Uh, even a baby is aging, right? <laughs> So, and we want to age because otherwise you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and I personally really like a mix of generations. I, having colleagues or friends who are a good bit older and a good bit younger brings me a lot of great stuff. Um, but when I moved to Norway, it really hit me in the face the, that it was looked at differently here because... In the U.S., it's a bit more private. You, yeah, you, you know, people might know your age, but definitely in a professional setting, it's not like advertised, for example, in your, your CV or resume. You will see in um, newspaper articles here or somebody's uh, bio in a very public setting, it's like seen as a defining factor, like it will be the first thing listed. And I found that kind of shocking, um, I know of, uh, I don't know that they advertise this way in uh, recruiting anymore, but I've definitely heard it said where people will, who are looking to hire will say a very specific uh, age range. That's all they're looking for. And obviously you're going to be cutting yourself out of a really interesting potential pool by having blinders on. Um yeah, I, one experience that I had, I was frustrated with something that I was hearing about that. And I said, all they want is the ideal age. And I happened to be talking to a researcher who works within diversity and in businesses. And she said, oh, what's that, 35? And yeah, that was exactly what she meant. Not too old, not too young, perfect in this setting. And this is all um, in Norway. So... Um, <laughs> This is really foolish for many, many reasons. I looked up here, uh, again, with the Norway viewpoint, the um, former prime minister who just went off, Erna Solberg, she said, and I think it was 2017, that in the long run, it will be more important for a sustainable welfare society that older people work longer than that we open up a new oil field. Maybe we can call older people the new oil. And for Norway, that's a major statement. And I, I don't know that minds are changing. I, I hope they are. But uh, clearly somebody has realized in at least the upper levels of the political world here, government, that uh, you know, it's a generational shift thing. You have the baby boomers aging out. And, uh, you know, at least the older ones retiring and the younger generations are smaller. 
and they recognize we can't support our welfare society if there's not enough people working. If you broaden it to a more international competent, um, context, it's also that uh, you lose phenomenal competence. Because mm. uh, I um, have definitely heard people are talking about this uh, in many, many different countries. It's definitely not just a Norwegian issue. So to me, I'm just interested in opening minds. I feel like the conversations I've normally heard about this are about younger people feeling discriminated. And, and I'm not saying that doesn't happen, but that they have a hard time getting in the market because every job posting will expect experience already. They're like, well, how do you get that experience? And I know there are challenges there. Um, anyway, that's, that's what interests <laughs> me. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's, it does still exist in many, many places. I mean, there's the assumption in Norway that once you hit 50, it's going to be harder for you to find a job. And that may be true, and it may not be true. It, you know, it kind of depends on the individual and depends on the context and the industry and, and what's going on there. Um, but, you know, sort of the benefit packages and the workforce, uh, the uh, employment laws and everything sort of takes it for given, takes it for granted that after 50, it will be harder for you to find a job. And that I find really interesting because 50 is really, really young. <laughs> you, know, the, you know, you've got at least a decade, if not two, before you're going to retire, you know, depending on you know, what kind of person you are, but like, that's a really long time, a lot of knowledge and experience. And by the time you're 50, okay, you have maybe 25 years of experience. But so like half of your career life is still ahead of you. Um, and that's where I think people tend to look at numbers rather than look at the individual. And that's Again, statistics, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, some of them will be like, oh, well, you know, older people get sick more. That's the argument they'll <laughs> use. And I'm like, well, what about people who have small children? Mm. You know, like, I'm not knocking them. They should definitely be in the workforce, and <laughs> I'm all for them. But, you know, statistically speaking, they get sick more often than people over 50. But the assumption is the people over 50 are the category that gets ill uh, more often. And so it's, it's you know, there's sort of a societal prejudice, and again, not just in Norway, that, you know, older people, you're losing your ability to think quickly. You're losing your ability to move quickly. You're losing your desire to learn. And for some people, that may be true, right? But it's one of those things where once you start putting people in buckets, that's where you lose out. And diversity and inclusion is a difficult topic there because diversity, you are putting labels on people, yeah. right? But you're trying to do it to uplift, you know, to raise them up and to uh, get positives out of it rather than as a label to bring them down. 
Um, so it's, I think it's fascinating. And with the younger people as well, everybody wants, oh, they got to have two to three years of experience minimum. That's entry level. I'm like, no, it, that is not the definition of entry <laughs> level. Entry level is no experience. They end up being in uh, internships, which I know in some countries they're expected to work for free. And mm-hmm. that's its whole other, um, whole other group of challenges with that. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, I just want to add, like, my mother is 58, 58, yeah, and she's, like, in better physical shape than me, <laughs> and uh, she's going, like, swimming and yoga and everything else, and she's working, and uh, I hope she will continue working, because I cannot imagine that she would be, like, retired or something at 50, because she's so young, like, I see how young she is both soul and uh, everything and she's also taking now online courses you don't believe like today she's taking like video editing course like mother what <laughs> <laughs> so i'm i'm very happy how uh, we have uh, evolved as uh, like humanity that uh, actually we are also learning all the time not only people in their 30s 40s but also 50s and 60s and probably 80s as well so I hope uh, as many people will stay in the workforce, help the juniors to get better, uh, get their point as well as we. I grew up in a different area than now the 20s, right? So I can give my point of view how we did, uh, why we didn't didn't have uh, mobile phones, like uh, we did something else than that. But uh, so we have always different points of views. We have different uh, past and we have different opinions. And I think everyone has to be included and I have several people at work that are, I know they're 50 or over 50, and I think they can work 20, 30 more years, and they have, I I, I think they have so much to say and to do and to contribute. So I I hope we will solve this problem of, of, like, that someone will be afraid of, losing their job that uh, and that they will not be able to find a new job like uh, yeah yeah I think that's key there is the finding a new job so if you're what 50 you're in a job you've been there for a while you would think that they're going to keep you as long as you're performing well but I think the idea of could I find another job I think that's where there's a, a question mark on it and that's where this conversation becomes really important because you shouldn't have to feel like you can. Um, but is there anything that you could think of that companies could do to encourage that or discourage that feeling of I'm not going to be able to find something new? I, I think uh, you often believe what you see. Mm. So it's not about talk as much. It's about when I look around the room and around the company, do I see anybody who looks older than me at whatever age one is or do I see people who look younger than me Mm. you know so are they showing that they value people who are older are they showing that they value people who are younger or when you look around the room is pretty much everybody within the same 10 years Mm. 
of each other. And, you know, some people certainly, you know, I myself, I dye my hair to make it look, <laughs> make myself look younger. But, you know, I mean, you can still tell. You can still tell I'm not 20. You can you can still tell I'm sort of maybe in the older group. Um, but I think, you know, when they see people who are being valued for the work that they're doing at whatever level and with a variety of ages, then you're not going to fear for your job. And if you see that in multiple companies and if, like in the advertising, the people who represent the company are all different ages or if the people at stands or at seminars or wherever the company is showing, you know, here are we and and doing recruitment, they have a variety and it's not just all the brand new 20-year-old interns who are at the stand, then it's going to be more believable. And I think people will go, oh, okay, cool. You know, they, they are a company that has a lot of, you know, openness to what skills different people bring at different periods in their career and um writing there's a approach show it don't tell it and that mm. i think fits in really nicely with what you're saying it, it becomes more credible if uh, you're actually doing it and not just talking about it yeah yeah definitely no i love that it's a really interesting um topic especially flipping it from the younger person to the older person like you said we always hear oh younger people can't get into jobs but no thank you for that um, and then patience, your kind of question topic was how does gender affect salaries? Um, and I know before the podcast we were talking about, was it a study that you saw? And, and kind of, yeah, tell us about that because it's interesting. Yeah, this was a study I read a, a while back uh, that was based on the U.S. market. So it, it may or may not be relevant to Norway, but I just thought it was a very interesting thing. And it was talking about a couple different industries, and one of them was nursing, where nursing is, in the U.S., uh, very predominantly female. And the salaries for nurses are, you know, they're higher now because of COVID, thank you. But uh, they, you know, at the time they were a bit lower. But as soon as men started becoming nurses, and they did this study in a couple different hospitals and did the research where they noticed that when that uh, hospital started hiring male nurses the salaries for nurses went up because the men were coming in and men get higher salaries and that is not a statement I'm making as a fact but this is sort of the theory underneath it and so all the nurses started getting higher salaries because there were men in there but when it was predominantly female, it was lower. And they also looked at some other industries that are predominantly male-dominated, IT being one of them, where the salaries were quite high. But then as soon as women started coming in and it started getting more diversified gender-wise, the salaries started going down. And it, it was a fascinating study, horrific absolutely horrific study for from a women's point of view but a fascinating study to understand that there are other factors at work uh, at least in the u.s uh, when it comes to how salaries are defined and what the value of a task is and so when you only get one uh, gender one type of candidate you value it a different way than when you have a homo- uh, heterogeneous group. 
And I thought that was really, really interesting. So I'd be interested in in hearing anybody else's thoughts on that or if you have experiences with that type of stuff. Um, yeah, well, I can add a little bit. Uh, I remember I was in the group before where we were like female developers and uh, many um, women that are there, when they became managers, they would say, girls, please ask for more money. Don't be afraid. And I, I didn't like understand until I became engineering manager myself. So I talked to people about salaries. And I also read a little bit of like statistics and research on that. So women are, or female developers, I'm talking about developers, are less likely to ask for a salary raise than a man. But I, I kind of question that because like, I ask for races all the time. And yeah, I'm not a developer, but I am female. Yeah. So um, maybe we're not in that statistics, right? Yeah, maybe, maybe not, maybe not. But, I, you know, I think there's a lot of men that also don't ask for races. But I, I think yeah. they're getting them even though they don't ask for them. Mm, let's say... Uh, I I think also from my experience, uh, if you're like men, even they are happy with the, the race, they would ask for more. It's just what what everything, all the articles say, ask for more, ask for more. Uh, and that's valid. Like if everyone asks for more, why shouldn't you? Yeah. And uh, but, uh, but I think female uh, co-workers Maybe they're more shy. I, I, I have no idea. I, I, I am the same. Like, I, come on. I, I kick myself to ask for more. Like, I'm like, I'm not the statistics. I should ask for more. <laughs> um, I have so many ideas coming up with you all talking about this. Um, but one example that comes to mind is how they dealt with this a, a little bit in the U.S. And it was it had to do with um, buying a car. So not about salaries, but I think the concept could transfer and I can't remember the maker, but they wanted to appeal to women specifically. And so they came out with a fixed price for their car. And so women could go in and they didn't have to do all the negotiating. It's what it was. And that's just what it, and they, this company, <laughs> wish I could remember the name, did really well. Um, and so I kind of, hearing some of what you're saying, was like, why can't there just be more of uh, that somehow? Like... I know in the government here, they have certain ranges that they make really clear. Um, so you know kind of if you're at X level, it pays within this range. I mean, everybody doesn't want to be like the government, but the certain amount of salary transparency would be beneficial. <clears throat> I don't know if there's, <coughs> excuse me, if there's some way to get that here. The information tends to be a, a little more open in this uh, society, I think. Well, I mean, you certainly have the trade unions that have salary statistics and stuff for different titles. Uh, so you have that here, but then you have to be a member of that particular trade union for those particular types of jobs, right? So if you tend to go across, like you're switching from being a developer to being a manager, maybe you're switching trade union areas, and so you'd have to you know, do further research, join a different trade union to get those type of statistics. But that doesn't always help you because sometimes, you know, 
like within companies, the salary ranges are vastly different for the same job. I mean, I know at a former place where I worked, um, my salary as a manager was six levels below all the other managers in the other departments that started at the same time as me. So I thought, you know, as soon as I found that out, I was like, wait a second here, what's going on? So I said, well, okay, is it because I don't have the education? No, I have a master's degree, as they do. Um, is it because I don't have the responsibility for the budget? No, my budget's larger than theirs. If I don't have the responsibility for the people, no, actually I have more people than they do. And like every sort of objective criteria was just like I either was equal or had more than the people hired at the same time as me. And like there was no thing of seniority because, you know, they started at the same time. And so when it finally got down to it, and I was talking to my boss about it and, of course, raised all these things for him. And he was like, well, you know, it's just historically always been this way. And I'm like, yeah, but I wasn't historically here. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> this <anymore. laughs> should be different. And he wasn't willing to bring it up. He just didn't want to do that kind of fight. And that wasn't his personality style and wasn't his strength. And so I just had to decide to leave, which I did. But it was one of those situations where I was like, wow. Uh, historical isn't isn't a good precedent for this. Like, if there's an objective reason, patients were yeah. all those people men. Uh, or, or no, no, we, we no. They were discussion like they, that. They were women as well. So it was just straight across the board. Like, but sometimes I think that's a factor. Like, just sort of the historical precedent. Like, it's always been we pay less for, you know, this department or for women or for this group of people or. You know, so thus, why would we pay more now? You know, there's a very old-fashioned point of view that people used to be more open about. Now it's not politically correct to say these kind of things, yeah. but it was looked at that men have to take care of a family, so of course you pay them more. Now that's um, not the reality anymore, yeah. but when you've got it in the system, as you said, patients, the historical yeah. structure or whatever... Um, yeah, it's just bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. It's difficult to change as well, isn't it, when, like you said, people are so set in the ways and it's kind of you need to bring an argument of why we would change it rather than let's just look at it for what it is. Yeah, it's so interesting. Um, and I appreciate we're approaching the hour mark, but I know, Jennifer, when we were talking, um, we obviously mentioned the the age diversity, but also kind of diversity and inclusion, how to get people on board without kind of using punishment. Um, so, yeah, that was like a subtopic we wanted to explore if we've got time. So tell us more about that. OK, we can throw it out there. <laughs> well, one thing that I like to talk about, I've even done short presentations on it, is looking at uh, diversity and inclusion from a totally different angle. And that's that it's fun, not that it's something that you have to do. People respond much better if they um, if it's made, if it's an attractive thing instead of something that they're forced into doing somehow with uh, fines or being shamed or whatever. I mean, that's just human uh, psychology, uh, not unique to this. So, um, I mean, I've sort of looked at this from, you know, baby steps are the way you can change things and sort of examples that I have there. 
the really um, small, some might sound absurd to uh, somebody who wants major change. Uh, but like if you look at it from diversity, from that perspective, it's as simple as someone, an individual can choose to read a book that is um, translated or something that it's somehow different from themselves. Uh, and if they don't like books, they can watch a movie with subtitles or, you know, one that highlights as the main characters or themes, something that they wouldn't do. And this is something they can do in their private time and make sure the the um, style or something is one they really enjoy so that it's a positive experience. And with inclusion, you know, same sort of thing. They choose it. Like, say they're at work and in the company lunchroom. If there's somebody who's sitting alone, they just, you know, invite them over or, or chat with them in the hall or something really small that's a way of taking a step um, towards this. Um, I heard about some really interesting research, coincidentally, just before I was coming in here that I thought was just fascinating, that the um, Harvard Business School had done, or rather someone using statistics from Harvard Business School, looking at forced uh, diversity versus organic diversity meaning in the, they'd put people into different groups where they were randomly assigned to ensure diversity, and then in groups where they chose. Uh, there was different years where it was done that way. And the researchers had, you know, hoped that the forced <laughs> groups uh, would be more subjective and would do better, but they found out that they didn't. Um, and the ones that were organically chosen, uh, which were probably not quite as diverse as the others. Um, so they need to do more research on this, but I thought that that pointed to the idea of what are people um, choosing uh, on their own, and if we can just play with that a bit a bit more, um, yeah, instead of the way the large, large majority of people talk about diversity and inclusion. I agree with that. <laughs> um, but I think also, you know, one of the things that's a benefit from COVID is that they sort of ran out of content on on the TV and mm -hmm. the streaming services. <laughs> so they're buying it from different countries. So you're getting a lot more <laughs> diversity in via the media. And I think that's one of the reasons why in Norway, everybody's like, oh, Americans, those aren't. You know, you guys aren't immigrants. And I'm like, oh, yes, I am, actually. <laughs> but it's because they see American TV all the time. And so seeing Korean TV or Nigerian TV or, you know, these movies or these series or these streaming services from other countries, I think will make people more comfortable with those cultures in a way what you're talking about. And I think that's one of the things that is just a spinoff of COVID because, well, there wasn't any co content. So suddenly Netflix had to look somewhere else than the U.S. and, you know, and look for other markets. So I think I, I feel that's helping. I, I know so much more about Korean society now. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know. Yeah. And Christina, yeah. what do you think? Yeah, I I just heard about books and like how you can open your mind to it. I recently I have not read the book, but I've heard about it called The Invisible Women. It's by the it's basically presented the data how this world is created by men, not uh, by men for men. 
<laughs> and one of the examples is like piano, for example, is that uh, it's actually created the optimal size of your palm is 22. And uh, obviously, a lot of women have uh, smaller palms. So that's why we're not that like maybe good at piano. But <laughs> uh, so, for example, this book is just bringing some data like data and comparing different things, why maybe we are, as women, if we talk about that, uh, a bit different and why we are maybe not uh, suited to play piano. I'm just saying that. But mm. uh, so, And this is the book that was uh, reviewed by a guy and he was like, yeah, I'm, I didn't see that coming, but this book opened his mind and I really want to uh, read the book as well because he brought up a few good examples about uh, how, how we are and why the world is how it is right now and... Uh, uh, how things work and I think like the books like that will open the minds for people why for example different cultures are different and why uh, some people shake their hand and someone don't want to shake their hand uh, in different cultures so yeah I think reading books watching tv shows about Korea <laughs> will definitely open everyone's mind yeah for sure no, it's a really interesting point um, and I think it's nice that it's backed by studies and you can kind of see, well, maybe we should be a bit more open-minded if this is an in controlled environment and these are the results. Um, so, yeah, that's a, it's a really interesting one. Now, has anybody got anything else to add on, on any of the, the topics before we wrap up? Anything else we want to mention? Um, well, I think uh, one of the reasons why I think we're even raising these issues is because we're all sort of looking for um, how do we fix it? Mm. How do we improve the situation? And obviously the first step in solving anything is being aware of what is the actual challenge. What is the actual um, thing that you want to change? Um, so I, I feel often... Um, that can be misconstrued, the awareness moment, and people get scared of that. They don't want to raise these issues because they feel like they're complaining or that they feel like they're putting down the opposite side. And I think uh, maybe we could start by just understanding that we're talking about these topics not to complain and be upset, but to sort of figure out what is the real problem here underneath this and thus okay, what needs to be done to change that in a positive way and get us to a more holistic state of being where we want to be. So I think that's something that maybe we're not always aware of self, ourselves mm. when we're talking about it. Yeah, definitely. I think that's one of the reasons I enjoy talking about these things is because people have so many differences of opinions, but just raising awareness, just talking about it, is definitely a step in the right direction to, if some of the listeners here take one thing away, definitely worth it across the board. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else from anyone? No. 
Okay, well, thank you to Jennifer, Patience, Christina. It's been a really good talk, some really good insights in there. So, yeah, I wanted to just say thank you, and I hope the listeners enjoy listening. Thank Thank you. Thank you.